It is time for another edition of the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to break down UFC Vegas 78 course, which goes down here on Saturday in Las Vegas inside the UFC Apex. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. As always, I am joined by the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. Pete, uh, happy Thursday afternoon. Uh, appreciate Pete moving the show up a day because, uh, well, I can't do the show tomorrow because I got, got a little broadcasting. Actually, we will not be here the next two Fridays, so we're going to try to do the show on Thursday again of next week as next Friday will be a travel day for me. But Pete, man, happy Thursday, man. Happy Thursday. What's going on? What's up, everybody? Perhaps we make the the permanent shift to Thursdays. We used to do Thursdays back in the day and until Jason's schedule calms down. We'll figure it out. Um, but happy to have you guys. Um, last week was a nice card. I really enjoyed last week. Another profitable week. Um, able to hit some of these awesome bets, some of the matchups I was worried about, you were worried about. If you had your exposures set correctly, it was okay. All I needed, Jason, I was in second place. All I needed was Corey Sanhagen to not go out there and do his best Habib Nurmagomedov impression, and he did just that. And uh, you know, I, I ended up, you know, getting bounced out of second place. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It was still a profitable week. It was awesome. And here we are with a an okay card, some crazy big favorites. Not the most appealing underdog slate, in my opinion. But happy to break it down with you guys, and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, there's a couple of underdogs on the slate that I, I don't mind taking a sprinkle at. We'll talk about that as we do go forward. Of course, if it's the first time you're checking us out here on the Fight HQ YouTube channel, be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that thumbs up button. As always, we appreciate that. Of course, uh, if you got a question, you want to send in a super chat, your questions will go to the top of the queue. Of course, also, we got our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Uh, link is in the description below. Also, this week's DraftKings contest is live up there, so you can check it out. Also, we got our merch store as well, but as you know, Pete, as we talk about game theory and, and looking down this fight card, I mean, obviously the main event, You as we do the show, the prices have not come out on FanDuel. If they come out during the show, we'll talk about them. But looking at the price on DraftKings, man, the main event is just hard to avoid when you're talking about that being the A200, 8,000 fight this week. Also, you know, I look at other fights. I look at the 8,300, 7,900 fight between Santos and Miller as something that I am probably going to target. You know, I don't love targeting the first fight at night, but uh, Santos is really someone that I'm going to be targeting this week. And then there are these 9K options where you go, these guys could easily get 115 points. You look, we, we know it, Terrence McKinney. If he's going to go out there and win, he's going to win in the first round. You look at someone like a Marcus McGee taking on J.P. Byes, who's stepping up to the 135-pound division. And then I, I look at I look at the Josh Frim salary. I mean, like, he's clearly the favorite in the fight. But then I'm like, man, that is a high price point I got to pay for Josh Frim this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not in love with a lot of the numbers associated with some of these fighters. The lines, I think that they should be favorites, but they've been completely overblown. Or it's like, oh, my gosh, if – you know, you compare cards and, and you go back and you compare what was a three or four to one favorite to this week's card. It's kind of like, you know, a lot more uncertainty on this card and volatility, in my opinion. Um, but I, I get it. I do get it, you know, to a point. It's just like, you, you know, you have to now for a DFS slate, um, you have to really figure out if they're able to get you 100 plus points because it's going to be necessary um, and, and there's, you know, the top option, Marcus McGee is somebody that I definitely want to talk about because of all the other uncertainties in the 9,000 option, I, I think that he probably provides the, the safest floor. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in we I want to say we talked about this with the last week, maybe the week four, when we're talking about a 9,600 fighter of, okay, then who are you getting 
like mm-hmm. 7,400 below. And I, I just, I really look at someone like a Chris Dawkins this week is probably going to be someone that people are going to look at. Um, of course, you know, we're doing this here on Thursday. The Wayans are not till tomorrow. I want to see what Chris Dawkins looks like on the scale coming down from heavyweight to 205. Um, and of course, we all know Clue and Roundtree. Uh, wants to do here um, you know we'll, we'll talk about McKinney and, and Breeden you got Isaac Delgarian finally making his UFC debut after uh, being signed on Dana White's looking for a fight uh, like Jesus I think it was about two years ago um, at, at this point and uh, you know we got some other ones that are interesting uh, as well you know Hakeem Dawadu as you mentioned about another 9,000 that to me is a guy that you know we talk about this in the fight game so often, Pete, is we never know when the downside of a fighter's career is going to happen. I mean, look, Tony Ferguson is probably the best example of this. You know, we mm-hmm. look at that run he went on, and then, you know, from 2020 to currently, it's, it's just gone downhill. And I kind of like, that's where I look at that co-main event. And even though it's a 9,000 option, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't going to be the time to capitalize on on the downside of Cub Swanson's career. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Father Time's undefeated, and, you know, gambling on mixed martial arts and fights in general, it's all about timing. And if you just, you know, target an underdog at, in the correct stylistic matchup at the right time, you know, you you can end up most of the time say, say they're not going to win that fight. But when things align, you, you need to just trust your gut and go for it. It happens all the time. And I always say the best fighter doesn't always win on fight night. It's whoever's better that night. And, uh, you know, I do think that Hakeem Dawadu is in a massive spot here, um, able to capitalize on an opportunity like this to really have a, a big, high-profile name associated with a win. Um, you know, it's still Cub Swanson, and I do think that he's probably going to be somewhat of a shell of himself. But Father Time is undefeated. I do feel like the the best days of Cub Swanson are clearly behind him. And anytime that we're in a situation like that from a DFS standpoint, I try to get more aggressive uh, on the favorite. So. Uh, Hakeem Dawadu is going to be a guy that I'm going to prioritize also, even though I do think the fight most likely goes to the distance and Hakeem wins a decision. It's just the all the other you know intangibles that I just I brought up. Uh, it makes me want to get to more you know be more aggressive on Hakeem Dawadu than some of these other high eight thousand, low nine thousand options. Yeah, I mean, over at Price Picks, that fight, uh, the fight time is 14 minutes and three quarters. I'll tell you when I was uh, this morning going over at Price Picks and looking at those props over there. I thought these lines are pretty accurate. I mean, I thought they were really spot on. There wasn't. There's really only two options I really look at that uh, are, are the top two favorites for me. We'll talk about that as we do, do go forward. Of course, we're going to break these fights fight by fight. At the end of the show, we'll give you our straight-up fight picks. We'll answer any listener questions. Also, uh, hit on Bellator. Bellator's got a fight card coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Bellator 298. Obviously, we, you know, Pete is... Uh, Invested in the main event? Would that be a proper way to describe this? 100%. And if you don't know, now you know that, you know, Brennan Ward is a good friend of mine. Um, We've trained together plenty of times and uh, fought on the same card. I don't know how many times. So um, he he comes down to my gym and, you know, it's, it's great having him a part of the room. I really do think that he presents a difficult stylistic matchup for Logan Storley. So, Getting almost three to one, uh, plus three hundred, you know, uh, on Brennan Ward. There are some obvious concerns, of course, gas tank wise. You, ha- you just haven't seen um, Brennan Ward get stretched out over five rounds since his fight against Shlomenko. Uh He can go the distance. He's always in fantastic shape. This is a guy that is just he he 
he prepares he puts so much work in that he goes out there and gets early finishes but i'm telling you right now the guy's in shape in crazy crazy shape ridiculously low resting heart rate um you know i i think clearly storley needs to take him down again on top but i feel like that's going to be very difficult to do and if he does i don't think that he can necessarily hold him down so i'm expecting storley to attempt to take take brennan ward down of course um and then be okay with a stand-up fight for a little bit until he starts to get cracked and then once he gets cracked i i think that it's going to be all she wrote i I think that brennan ward's going to knock out logan storley and at uh at plus 260 that's amazing i can't wait for these uh these ko props to, to to pop open when i was doing my show on tuesday morning and we started talking about the Bellator fight card, and I looked at it betting odds, and I saw plus 260 on Brandon, and I was like, I mean, I knew he was going to be the underdog. I, I knew he was right. going to be the underdog. I did not expect it to be that big of a number. I thought it'd probably be plus 180, plus 200. That's where yeah, I thought that, it was going to be. because like, for that. Yeah. Like, look, I I do not expect Logan to stand and trade with Brandon for very long. I do expect him to incorporate that wrestling, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a, as we do go on. But let's get right into UFC Vegas seventy eight because I, I do got some takes on on the Bellator car. I got there, there's some uh, there's some lines I like over there on the Bellator car. Yeah. Let's get right into it. The main event we got Rafael dos Anjos taking on the returning Vicente Luque. RDA is a minus one twenty five betting favorite, plus one oh five for Vicente Luque, and RDA is a two hundred on DK, and for Vicente Luque he is eight thousand Pete. Yeah, I tell you what, if this fight had a different uh, salary associated with it, I'd be much, much more inclined to, you know, fade it or, or be underweight to it. But because of the 8,200, 8,000 price tag, it's really difficult, right? You have five rounds to work with. If it doesn't go five rounds, that's where avoiding the fight could actually work out in your favor. Obviously, first round finishes go automatically going to make it optimal. Um, but anything besides that in, in round two or round three is possible that you don't need it. I just think for the most part, it's going to be difficult to get away from it. Rafael Dos Anjos has a great takedown floor always. He, um, even at his age, he's he's able to go out there and impose his will in the takedown department and grappling department. Uh, massive control time, 14 minutes, 13 minutes, 6 minutes, and 6 minutes. That was in his previous four matchups against Paul Felder, Hanata Moicano, Rafael Faziv, and Brian Barbarena. If you go in that list, though, those three fighters, first three fighters I just listed, they're lightweights, and I, I do think that Rafael Dos Anjos has had success at welterweight, but I do think that he's relatively undersized, uh, muscular guy. But I, I just think that you know his true success is going up against you know fighters taking taking it on shorter notice. Paul Felder taking it on absolute short notice. Hanata Moicano taking it on short notice. Rafael Fiziev, that was a lightweight fighter and ended up losing in the fifth round. I do think that there is a nice takedown floor for Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, there's more to his UFC resume, 21 and 12, Vicente Luque, a guy who, um, has been inconsistent of late, but has a ridiculous resume as well in the welterweight division. Um, tons of finishes, excellent darts, chokes, excellent hands, great striking, uh, suspect takedown defense, but he does work his way back to his feet decently. Well, I went back and I watched the Bala Muhammad fight, a guy who has, more explosive takedowns than Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, but I, I do think that that's a very difficult matchup and and something that Vicente Luque clearly has learned from. And uh, that for him to go up against Jeff Neal and lose in the third round via KO, TKO, 
he has taken a ton of damage for a guy who's relatively young in the sport. So I worry. I, I do worry about the brain bleed. I do worry about a lot of the damage. But I am picking Vicente Luque here at 8,000 on a week where I'm not in love with a lot of the underdogs. Give me the true welterweight as an underdog who has never been an underdog in the UFC up until now. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the the brain um, bleed, brain hemorrhage uh, that Vicente Luque had, that's why he's been out the last year. He did have to go in front of the commission, had to go through the doctor process to be able to go through there. I mean, that to me is a little bit of concern. I mean, but one thing that Vicente Luque does have in this matchup is he's got a six-inch reach advantage in that one. That to me is notable. Um, get a couple of questions we got in here. Uh, T-Rex saying, can Dos Anjos constantly take him to take down the city? Like, to me, I think that's got to be a, a, a part of the game plan here. And, and to me, I look at this fight, like, over on prize picks, one of the prize picks props I do like this week is the under 21 and a half fight time minutes because I think this thing's going to be going to be done within three rounds. I don't hate it. I, I definitely don't hate it. I do think that finishes favor Vicente Luque more. Um I, I know that Rafael Dos Anjos' jiu-jitsu is ridiculous. I worry about wrestlers against Vicente Luque because of his inability to defend takedowns sometimes. And um, he's offensive in the jiu-jitsu department, but not as skilled defensively. So I do worry about that. He has lost uh, twice via submission. That was early on in his, UFC, uh, in his regional career. Inside the UFC, he's just lost decisions. And most recently, a TKO to Jeff Neal where – he got hit with every single left hand Jeff Neal threw, whether it was an uppercut, straight left hand, whatever it was, that left hand could not miss. I think that Vicente Luque rebounds here. I think he picks up a nice win over a big, big name in Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, I, I think that he ends up TKO in Rafael Dos Anjos. I really do. Mm-hmm. But a decision wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. So um, I would probably say about three quarters of my lineup are going, are going to have this fight. And then just 25%, I'm going to get different. And and hope that perhaps it's a low scoring bout or that it does go the distance. Um, yeah, I mean, all you need is just six other fighters to outperform this fight, and I do think that it is possible on a thirteen fight slate. Looking over the betting side of this one, the one the the prop bets that stuck out to me were the inside the distance props. Uh, Vicente yep. Luque inside the distance plus one sixty five, uh, and of course RDA inside the distance plus two seventy five. Yeah, I don't I don't see either one of them submitting each other, right? Like I know that Vicente Luque has a great darsh choke. I just don't see anybody submitting Rafael Dos Anjos. I just don't. And Rafael Dos Anjos, I, I think that outside of getting the back, I don't think there's a way for him to, to submit Vicente Luque. So do, do I really believe Vicente Luque is going to TKO Rafael Dos Anjos? I, I think it's possible. I really do think it's possible. So I would probably – I like the inside the distance. It's definitely safer. Um, but I think the KO prop is something I lean a little bit more for Vicente Luque. Of course, if you got any questions on the fight, do leave those in the chat if you're watching us live here on YouTube. Of course, if there's a, a time that you cannot watch us live on YouTube, of course, if you want to listen to us on the podcasting platforms, you can do that as well. The show will probably get a little bit later on the podcasting platforms today because I got something coming up right after the show, but uh, be sure to uh, check that out over there. Let's move over to the co-main event. We got Keem Dawadu taking on Cub Swanson. Akeem is a minus 230 betting fair, plus 194 Cub Swanson. Akeem is 9,000 on DK, and for Cub, he is 7,200 on DK. Yeah, I mean, I like Cub, right? Like, I've trained with Cub, sparred Cub. I like Cub, but I, I don't like Cub in 2023. I, I did not like 
his response to the leg kicks from Jonathan Martinez. I've never seen that really. I mean, like the way that he responded so terribly to inside leg kicks, outside leg kicks. Uh, I know that he's predominantly a guy that likes to throw hands. So he's a little heavier on his, on his feet. Um, more of a boxing stance in 2023 than he used to be. He used to be super unorthodox and throw kicks as well. Um, just got in love with boxing a lot, boxing and, and keeping it on the feet. And I think that that was a tailor-made matchup for Jonathan Martinez and man did a couple of terrible. Now you got Hakeem Dawadu who wasn't successful in his fight against Julian Arosa, which is really a head scratcher because like Arosa is one of the most difficult guys to, you know, to figure out like consistency wise. And, you know, you had Hakeem Dawadu go out there and landed only 74 of 147 significant strikes defended four takedowns, but like I expected Hakeem to go out there and put together a strong performance, similar to how he did against Michael Trezano. Um, landed 141 significant strikes out of 214 against Trezano. Um, had a little bit of control time. I, I just think that Hakeem Dawadu, the way he mixes it up striking-wise, as long as he chops to the legs, I think he can be successful. People tend to just throw hands when they go, get with Cub Swanson and kind of you know stray away from the game plan. If you do that, then Cub feels comfortable, and then he can go out there and get into a rhythm. Still live to get a knockout, as he did against Darren Elkins. Uh, but most recently, we have seen Cub kind of slip up. Submission loss to Hanata Moikano. I'm not going to fault him for that. KO loss with a kick to Giga Chikadze, and then leg kicks to Jonathan Martinez. The Daniel Pineda and Darren Elkins KO uh, victories still stick out in my mind, but I, I just think that Hakeem's going to be the better fighter over 15 minutes, and I do expect it to go the distance. So uh, give me Hakeem Dawadu. Not in love with the price tag, but I do think that the, it's all about timing, and timing in this game is uh, is the best thing. So give me Hakeem Dawadu to win a decision here at plus 200. Yeah, I mean, if you're like Pete and you like this thing, go decision. If you look over prize picks, to me, you got to look at a the the fight time fourteen and three quarters. But the other one, the sixty eight half uh, significant strikes. I think it's another interesting prop. It's not a prop that I would say I love, but I think if you were going to to play that, I would probably rather go the significant strike prop than the fight time prop, uh, just because I do expect that this is going to be a fifteen minute fight. And, and you got to think the Dowdu camp has been looking at that previous fight, going man, leg kicks, leg kicks, leg kicks. So we'll see what happens there. Next up, we. We have got the light heavyweight debut of Chris Dawkins coming down from the heavyweight division. As we take it on Cleo Roundtree Jr. Cleo Roundtree is a minus one seventy five betting favorite, plus one fifty for Chris Dawkins and uh, for on DraftKings. Roundtree is eighty nine hundred and Dawkins is seventy three hundred. Pete, yeah, I cannot trust Chris Dawkins at all. I, I just can't. I can't trust a guy who's been knocked out in his past three fights, despite it being at the heavyweight division. Now he's going to cut weight where potentially weight cuts affect your chin. And now he's going to go up in a dangerous striking matchup against Khalil Roundtree, who has victories over Dustin Jacoby, Carl Roberson, Modestus Bukowskis, Eric Anders, uh, Gokan Saki. I just, I'm not going to do it um, from a pick standpoint, but from an exposure standpoint, of course, I'm going to get to a light heavyweight Chris Dawkins at 7,300. So let me just explain how I mean that. I, I cannot with any confidence pick Chris Dawkins. But I understand that there are paths to victory for him. Um, he has yet to attempt a takedown in the UFC. His back is clearly against the wall and his job is on the line, in my opinion. We know that he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He should go out there and just be a well-rounded mixed martial artist. 
fell in love with his hands, and that's one of the most dangerous things that can happen in MMA is when a grappler or a wrestler falls in love with their hands and they get away from what brought them to the dance. Now, Chris Dawkins always threw good combinations, always enjoyed striking more than grappling. But clearly in this matchup, man, you as a coach, you need to get in Dawkins' ear and say, hey, let's let's initiate some grappling because if you do so, you can beat a Khalil Roundtree. If you stay on the outside and go tit for tat with Khalil Roundtree, I think Roundtree's going to pick him apart and possibly finish him. You know, this is a guy that has knocked down several people. Knocked down Carl Robertson twice. Knocked down Modestus Bukowskis once. Knocked down Eric Anders four times. And now you're going up against a guy whose durability is in question in Chris Dawkins. As pick as far as picks go, I like Khalil Roundtree at 8,900. But you know, and I say it every week, there's volatility in certain weight classes and in certain um, certain instances. And in the light heavyweight and heavyweight weight classes, get to some of these underdogs because one shot changes everything. And uh, you know, I, I, I you know, Clint Roundtree is also a guy that has been relatively inconsistent throughout his career. Like he lost a matchup to Marcin Pragnow, a guy that I do not think is good. I, don't, I mean, he's picked up wins, but I just don't think he's good. So the pick is 8,900 kilo Roundtree. Exposure-wise, Chris Dawkins, in my opinion, will probably be one of the most popular underdogs in hopes that he refines his form. And uh, I'll, I'll treat it accordingly. I think the ownership that I'm looking at right now is fine. I'd probably like a little bit more Khalil Roundtree. Yeah, I mean I- – the thing for me is I do want to see what does Chris Dawkins look like on the scale tomorrow. That, to me, is the first thing. And I do believe that over the next six months, we are going to see a lot of fighters switching weight classes to 205 pounds because they look at that path to getting into the top 10 as a pretty clear path. And for Dawkins, even though he has never won a fight via submission, that submission prop is a little juicy to me. Plus fourteen hundred for Dawkins win base via submission, but like this is like we talk about this a lot. Is there's fighters on a fight card that you're just like, man, I don't trust them. Yeah, and I put I put both these guys like you mentioned about Khalil inconsistency. There are times like you think about you remember the Eric Anders fight. I was like, holy crap, he yeah, came he out there and. Level. He looked like a guy who could contend for a title. And then you mentioned like the Pracneo fight. Like, then you see that one, you're like, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, when Khalil was training in Thailand, he came over and he looked like incredible. He looked like Bangkok ready Khalil Roundtree. And then next thing you know, he's, he's you know, going to follow up losing to Ian Kutalaba, which is fine. He's dangerous. But losing to Marcin Pracneo, like you're, every fighter's going to have ugly losses. That's a real ugly loss. That thing smells. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you look at Chris Dawkins, he's leaps and bounds ahead of Marcin Pracnia. So Dawkins has to wrestle. I mean, he has to wrestle. He can outstrike Khalil. He, I mean, he, he could, but I think that's the dumbest strategy out there. Mm-hmm. Like, because Khalil sometimes is just a little gun shy. Um, but I think that he should wrestle. You would think. You would think over on prize picks, I don't really love a lot over there. Um, I mean, if you were going to play anything, I'd probably say more than 24 and a half significant strikes on Clue Roundtree. I mean, but, you know, the fight time is five minutes. I don't, tr- I don't trust the, the gas tank of 
of Chris Dawkins. You know, so that's kind of there. And, I mean, the, the fans scored 103.5 on Cooler Roundtree. I, I wouldn't touch, but I understand why you may get there. Let's do our next up. we got a female matchup. Lucendo taking on Viana. Lucendo minus 190 betting fair, plus 160 for Viana. 8700 for Lucendo on DK and eighty five or 7500 for Paul Viana on DK. Yeah, I like this fight. I, I really do. I think this is going to be a nice little sneaky fight to target. I'm leaning the Yasmin Lucindo side. I, I think that she showed uh, great striking skill in her debut against Yasmin uh, Jaragui. And I think most recently she looked pretty damn good against Brogan Walker, where she went to the takedown well, which, okay, she showed off that she's you know versatile in all areas of mixed martial arts. I think clearly if you're backing Poliana Viana, she has the higher finishing upside of the two. She's snatched up early submission wins. She looked to have developed some power in her previous matchup against Jinyu Frey. Jinyu Frey got lit up with that combination and finished in 47 seconds. If I was going to give a path to victory for both fighters, I think that Poliana Viana's clear path is to win via submission, something Yasmin Lucindo earlier on in her regional career um, fell victim to. It's just... Uh, quick submission defeats. So as far as an underdog, I think that Poliana Viana is a fine underdog. Um, let me look at exposure, but I do think that, yeah, it's probably, I think that it could even be a little bit more, to be honest, just because if she wins, she's going to score well. But in my opinion, I do think that Yasmin Lucindo is going to go out there and work Poliana Viana. Uh, I think that she's going to outstrike her from the outside, stay away from danger on top, um, and, and you know, in a pretty decisive decision win. Yasmin Lucindo is going to look pretty damn good. It's just, does she score well? I'm expecting like 88, 90 fantasy points for Yasmin Lucindo in a win. Um, just because I do think that Poliana's Viana's game and how aggressive she is, is going to force the hand of Yasmin Lucindo. So give me 8,700 Yasmin Lucindo. Sneaky fight to target. Um, very popular for the underdog, but I, I do think that it's warranted. Uh, as far as just quick submission wise. Um, but yeah, give me Yasmin Lucindo. I like her here at 8,700. I think she's going to be a fighter that's going to rise up the ranks. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at, at right now as we're looking at ownership projection, it's pretty spread out this week at this point. I mean, obviously some things will, will change on how projections are going to go there. But, um, you know, I, one of the things I, got, I was looking at that takedown prop of two for Lucindo. Yep. And that's, that's one I can go either way on. I, I like it, but I think it's stupid. Like, it, like if you go in the jujitsu realm with Poliana Viana, like if you land in guard, very, very dangerous. Her arm bar yeah. from guard, she's done it to multiple people. But if you can just stay, if you could take her down, obviously in pass guard, that's great. But if you don't, you need to really make sure and be wise of where you're putting your hands. No hands on the mat, good posture. Do not let her control your head. Something that I do think that Yasmin Lucindo can do. So if the takedown props at two, you need three. I probably, if it was at one and a half, I would say, yeah, take it. But it's at two. It's probably just a, a line that I wouldn't target. No doubt about it. Let's move over. Next up, we got a matchup between Tafon and Dobson. Dobson, a plus 125 betting betting underdog, minus 150 for Njeku. Njeku, 8,400 DK and 7,800 for AJ Dobson. Yeah, I mean, I like Tafon Chukwi here, and I've liked him in a lot of his fights that he's lost. So either I'm overrating his skills or he's just kind of underperforming um he looked damn good against azamat Mirzakhanov, and as a plus 164 underdog i looked really really smart up until he got hit with that flying knee and, and was finished but 
he was he was doing well and he was picking apart Azamat Mirzakhanov. And you know, I do think that a loss to Jung Young Park is nothing that I'm going to fault him for. Um, it was a majority loss, majority decision defeat. Um, and then most recently getting starched against Carlos Olberg, who's got dynamite in his hands. Can't really fault him for that. It's a volatile matchup here against AJ Dobson. Dobson, a guy who I think we've known as a, a KO guy, but inside the UFC, he's gone the distance twice. Once it was against Armin Petrosian, and once was against Jacob Malkoon. Um, you know, he, he's also attempted takedowns too. So I just don't know what I'm going to get from AJ Dobson. Mm -hmm. At this point, I think AJ Dobson is going to be a very, very popular underdog because of Tafan and Chukwi's um, damage that he's taken on his chin where he's lost two fights in a row via knockout. Could easily be a third against AJ Dobson because he throws a missile of a right hand. I just think that Tafan on the outside with his pace – and his footwork, and his feints, he can avoid the damage of A.J. Dobson, but it might be avoiding it until he gets hit and finished. Same thing that happened against Azamat Mazarkanov. So I guess I'm going to look like a fool again, but give me Tafan and Chukwe here at 8,400 to win a decision, and I do think that if he wants to incorporate a few takedowns, it'll help solidify a victory. Um, but yeah, give me 8,400 Tafan and Chukwe. 7,800 AJ Dobson's a fine underdog, but uh, not the not my favorite fight to target, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you know, when I, I was hand-building uh, my lineup for the, the Fight HQ contest, which, by the way, you can join that uh, in the description below, It was I was looking at that fight, and I was like, oh, man, because, you know, when I'm looking at some of these 9,000 options, I'm like, okay, where am I going to save some salary? Dobson was somebody, and I, I was high on Dobson at one point, but, um, you know, it just I just wonder maybe if we do see him go a little bit of his wrestling routes here uh, in terms of this one. Next up, we got Josh Rim taking on Jamie Pickett. Josh Rim is a minus 350 betting favorite, plus 275 for Jamie Pickett, 9,400 for Josh Rim on DK, 6,800 for Jamie Pickett. And Pete, I can't tell you, there was, I was looking at Jamie Pickett going, man, do I just do it to save salary? Yeah, I, I don't hate it at all. I was almost picking Jamie Pickett. And then upon fight film and all that, I'm like, ooh, Jamie Pickett's a guy similar to Marcin Pracnia, where I just don't feel. Like, I can say that they are true UFC caliber. Now, I, I like Jamie Pickett. I want him to go out there and prove me wrong. He's picked up some wins that really, really surprised me. I thought, you know, Loriana Staropoli was better than he was. Joseph Holmes, not good. Um, but outside of that, he, I mean, he, he's gotten worked in the UFC. Tafan and Chukwe defeat. Jordan Wright KO defeat. Kyle Dawkins submission defeat. Dennis Tallulah KO defeat. Most recently, Bo Nickel submission defeat. So, like, he's fought legitimate names in competition, but he has not had success. And most of that came in, you know, rounds one and two. I will say that as far as a salary saver, stranger things have happened. And perhaps Jamie Pickett could come up with a game plan to win a decision or hurt Josh Fremen on the feet. When I saw the lines, I didn't like the, the number associated with Josh Fremen. 9,400 for a guy that was choked out unconscious in a guillotine to Treshawn Gore. I'm not, I mean, what the hell? Treshawn Gore is super inconsistent as well. And it's just like on any given day, some of these weird volatile fighters are winning fights they shouldn't or losing fights they, they shouldn't either. So 9,400 Josh Fremd, very powerful striker, very good sneaky grappler as well, which really surprised me that he lost 
and you know, and be a guillotine to Trayshawn Gore. But he he showed off his ground game most recently against Cendricus Dumas with two takedowns, two explosive throws, tons of control time. I get it. I do get the the price tag, and given the finishing nature of Jamie Pickett in his defeats, I do think that it's a a solid spend up option. But there's a guy that we'll get to in Marcus McGee, where I just think it's much much safer. Um, but uh, I'll go 9,400. I hate the I hate the the price tag associated with it. I wish he was like 8,800, 8,900, and yeah. then I'd be like, okay, Josh Fred's an excellent excellent play this week. 9,400, you're starting to reach that. You know, you need 100 plus points all day long. Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's just a, it's the price point of it. I'm like, man, like. You know, Jamie Pickett's a guy I don't like backing just because of, yeah. of what we've seen, not not just in his UFC fights, but also in his, in his contender series fights. But uh, it's just, to me, it's just a price tag. And um, I, you know, if Josh Friend maybe does take this fight to the ground, kind of, I mean, obviously he's not Bo Nickel, but no one's Bo Nickel. I mean, let's, let's be clear about it. Right. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the team there at Factory X has looked at that and said, Man, we, we really feel like we can take this one to the mat. Then, of course, you just mentioned about Marcus McGee taking on J.P. Buys. J.P. moving up to the Bantamweight division after a run at Flyweight. He's a plus 290 betting underdog, minus 370 for Marcus McGee. Of course, came in on short notice. What was it? Three days notice and comes in and gets a knockout in his UFC debut. He's 9,600, and for J.P., he is 6,600. Yeah, I think Marcus McGee is clearly the safest player on the entire slate. Um, a guy who is a prolific finisher on the regional scene steps up on super short notice against journey Newson and makes us look really smart. I mean, backed him here against journey Newson and as a plus plus one thirty eight underdog on short notice, it, it goes to show the respect that the market had for, for uh, Marcus McGee went out there, landed 25 of 53 significant strikes, defended six takedowns had a knockdown, had a submission attempt, and had a finish en route to a second-round submission win over Journey Newsom, who's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Uh, so, like, I thought that was awesome. Um, and now he's in a, an extremely favorable matchup over J.P. Buys, who has not had good – has any success in the UFC. I mean, even from a number standpoint, you know – Landed only 17 of 56 significant strikes against Bruno Silva. That's terrible. 8 of 24 against Montel Jackson. 7 of 11 against Cody Durden. In his takedowns, 0 of 2 against Durden. 1 of 7 against Montel Jackson. 0 of 1 for Bruno Silva. I think that, like, as far as, like, snatching up submissions, he is somewhat dangerous because, like, he attempted three submissions against Montel Jackson and, Look close on a couple of them. He has a very good guillotine, um, but like outside of that, he did nothing, and he was knocked down a ridiculous amount of times. This is a guy who's taken so much damage, and I do not think that he can absorb any strikes. Marcus McGee is going to knock out JP Buys here, and I, it's just a matter of does he do it in round one, does he do it in round two with multiple knockdowns, or round three? I don't suspect it going past round two, and I do think that Marcus McGee for me. He's going to be a guy that I want every combination of. I understand if you are going to fade it because you think that Terrence McKinney can get you equal or more points than than Marcus McGee. Okay. I understand if you think Josh Friend can get equal or more points than Marcus McGee. No problem. But I'm just going to take the safe floor and the safe inside the distance play in Marcus McGee. I just don't think that JP is is mm-hmm. managing his career correctly 
taking these, I mean, Cody Dern, Montel Jackson, Bruno Silva, I, I just, it seems like a desperation play to go up here and pull off a victory against Marcus McGee. And then you take in the, into consideration the inconsistencies with his training camps and everything. Give me Marcus McGee all day long, 9,600, best play on the slate. Yeah, the, the move up to 135 pounds is kind of an interesting one there. By the way, yeah. Samuel, appreciate your super chat uh, talking about uh, Pete Rock and the dad beard going on. I mean, I, I'll say this. I'm over on Instagram and or TikTok, one of the two, and I'm looking at Pete. I'm like, Pete's filling out here. He's filling out this 170-pound, 155-pound body. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, of course. I told you, man. I told you. Uh, I, it's probably going to be 170, to be honest, at, at least at least for the first couple back. And then until, you know, get my feet under me and then uh, figure out, I think that the eventual move is 55, but I think 70 for just get, you know, feel comfortable out there and not kill myself to get back to 55. No doubt about it. Next up, we've got Terrence McKinney stepping up here for his second fight in a month. Take it on Mike Breeden. McKinney, a minus 270 betting fair, plus 224. Breeden, McKinney is 9,200 on DK and 7,000 for Mike Breeden. Yeah, okay, so I'm either going to look really smart or really stupid, and I don't care either one. Um, I just think Terrence McKinney's broken. I, I think he's broken, and I wish – I feel so bad because obviously I have to analyze these fights and break down these fights and back a fighter. So it's nothing personal. It's just what I'm seeing on fight film, and I just think that Terrence McKinney fights like an amateur. I've been saying it for years. He goes out there – Super hot out the gate, which if you go and you watch any mixed martial arts event and they have amateur fighters, round one is ridiculous. Always goes out there, throws balls to the wall, think that it's only a five-minute fight. If they get a victory, okay, they get a quick finish, awesome. If not, they're gassed. And I do think that's what's happening with Terrence McKinney. And when you don't have a true UFC-level camp, or true UFC level fighters around you that actually are good influencers on your career and people to look up to. You need role models. You need leaders in your room. You need people to tell you the stuff you don't want to hear. You cannot be surrounded by yes men. Not saying that's the case, but all I'm saying is that if this was my guy, or if this was Saif Saud's guy, or uh, any of these big, big profile camps, they would have addressed this in the training room and fixed him. And you're not going to go out there and take a fight unless you're fixing it in training camp. So I just don't know what the hell to expect from Terrence McKinney and for him to just try to rebound and and get a victory over a guy who's been preparing for an opportunity like this in Mike Breeden. I don't know if he underestimates his opponents, but like it's it's the same Terrence McKinney story, and it's a round one excellent play. So round one excellent play for ninety two hundred Terrence McKinney takedowns should be able to you know should be successful in the takedown department should be able to test the chin of Mike Breeden who's been finished in the past. Mike Breeden is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belt though, so like he will get taken down, but he'll work back to his feet similar to how he did against Natan Levy. Outside of round one, I think that Breeden is one of the best, if not the best, underdog on the slate, given the volatility of Terrence McKinney. McKinney goes out there, and if you're still alive in round two and round three, he's shot. He's absolutely shot, and he panic taps. So if you attempt a submission on him, he's going to panic tap. If you land shots on him, his durability is in question too. And I, I picked Mike Breeden to beat Natan Levy, and I thought I was going to look like a genius. He landed 104 out of 210 significant strikes 
was taken down like seven or eight times. But come round two and round three, he landed takedowns of his own. He started defending seven takedowns. And then in a loss, he he scored 62 fantasy points. And Natan Levy, I think, technically is probably a better striker than Terrence McKinney. McKinney's clearly the more explosive of the two. But I, I think McKinney's broken. And up until he makes a significant change in his in his camp, in his approach to a UFC fight, I'm gonna pick against him. Until you know, I may look stupid. I don't care. This is how I could possibly take down a tournament. And I'm seeing low ownership from Mike Breeden. I think Breeden finishes him in round two or three. And uh, we already know if it goes the distance, which Terrence McKinney never has, that it's Breeden's fight all day long. So give me Mike Breeden here at seven thousand. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. Prove me wrong, Terrence. You know, before the show, I looked at the prop bet of Mike Breeden wins round two, and that is plus 1,200. That's a bet you might not want, might want to throw a little sprinkle on because, I mean, look, if Terrence McKinney is going to win this fight, the, the likely scenario is he's going to win it within five minutes. And I think you bring a lot of great points up there, Pete. I mean, I think the question becomes is in terms of the people who are around Terrence McKinney, whether we're talking about his management, his training partners, his coaches, of taking this fight. And he's replacing Lando Veneta, who was supposed to be in this matchup initially. That, to me, is kind of the question marks of, don't know how good I feel about that. And, I mean, but look, obviously clear first-round upside for Terrence McKinney, but if this thing gets out of the first round, how, how do you have faith? Right, and and, you know, maybe Terrence has all the correct people around him. Maybe it's an anxiety thing. He he goes out there and it's like panic. I'm telling you from a guy that's been there, I can see it. And early on in my career, I experienced similar stuff where it's like, you know, you you get wide eyed and you're going out there fighting for your life. And next thing you know, you you know, if something bad happens, you know, you don't know how to respond because you're not accustomed to it. He could have everybody around him that's that's you know doing the right thing, but as far as performance. I'm looking at a guy that is going to go out there and either shock the world or he's going to lay down as soon as he's get met with resistance. And, you know, I think that he has all the talent in the world, but give me Mike Breeden here as an underdog. I get you. Next up, we got Francis Marshall taking on Isaac Dolgarian. Marshall is a minus 160 betting fair, plus 135 for Dolgarian. 8,500 for Marshall on DK and 7,700 for Dolgarian, who's may finally making his UFC debut. I, I will tell you, I, I have some insight on this one. Mm. So you remember when So they did the Dana White looking for a fight and how it was presented as it was going to be a sponsorship with the Nelk Boys? Oh, yeah, that fizzled, didn't it? Oh, no, no, no. They were trying to manage him. And Dolgarian's manager's like, uh, no. Ain't happening. And, uh, yeah, that that was what started kind of the why it took so long. And then he had some injuries, and, and now we're finally at his UFC debut. What a mess. What an absolute mess. Um, I like this fight, and I do think that it's a fight pairing two talented fighters, to be honest. I mean, Francis Marshall – Made me look dumb last time against uh, William Gomez. I, he really did. And uh, I listened to a couple of interviews, and he's like, I strayed away from the game plan, and I just tried to be a striker, and that's not what brought me to the UFC. And I was like, no shit. But hopefully he goes out there and he and he tries to you know, go, go back to his wrestling and grappling roots. I think that Isaac Dolgarian is a very talented fighter, um, more of a an early finisher than anything. Not low-level competition, but middle of the pack. Francis Marshall, a guy that's more more proven over 15 minutes. So 
it's there there's a little uncertainty here surrounding the you know UFC de- debut of Isaac Dolgari and how he's going to fare with the nerves of, of making his debut. What happens if this does touch the later rounds or goes the distance? I think that Francis Marshall, if he goes out there and uses his takedowns and his ground control and, and just being a complete mixed martial artist, he's a guy that can break the slate. And that's what I thought he was going to do to William Gomez because, yes, Marcelo Rojo, he, he finished him with him, uh, finished him via strikes. Fell in love with his hands, and and that's not the guy that I like because his hands are low. They're below his chin. I see openings for Dolgarian to capitalize on. Uh, so, yeah, like I like this fight. I'm going to lean Francis Marshall to win a decision, but like Dolgarian should be one of the most heavily exposed underdogs given his finishing nature and how violent he is. Uh, but, yeah, give me Francis Marshall to just be the better fighter over 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I look at Dolgarian, which kind of – Concerns me a little bit. It's just kind of the strength of schedule on the regional scene. That that's yeah. a little bit of a concern with me. Um, and, and I do think Marshall is definitely the way to go in this one. Then we got a heavyweight matchup: Martin Boudet taking on Josh Parisian. Parisian plus one eighty, minus two twenty for Boudet. Boudet eighty hundred on DK and seventy four hundred for Parisian. Yeah, I'm not a Josh Parisian guy. Never have been. Um, you know, he beat Alain Badeau and Roki Martinez via split decision. The Alain Badeau finish. You know, it's incorporating takedowns, taking a striker down and, and ground and pounding him. It's not the most impressive thing. Martin Boudet is a guy that I'm really not impressed with either, but he has victories over Jake Collier, who I actually hold in decent regard, uh, Lukasz Bresky and Chris Barnett, a guy that throws lots of knees in the clinch, um, just kind of leans against you on the cage. I think that Martin Boudet here at 8,800 is in a very easy matchup against Josh Parisian. Um Parisian's just as funky, right? Like throws weird things from weird angles. Will probably attempt takedowns against Martin Boudet and land underneath him or be pressed against the cage. And I do think that Boudet is just going to beat him up possibly, you know, for 15 minutes or get him out of there as the fight goes. Um, we, we did see Josh Parisian lose in the third round with Dante Mays. I just, I, th- I think that this is Martin Boudet's fight, but I think it's a sloppy, sloppy heavyweight bout that I'm really uninterested in, in rostering. If I'm going to roster anybody, it's Boudet in hopes that he can smash the slate. Parisian is a guy I just, I just don't want any part of, to be honest. Uh, I'll let my, I'll let my, my crunching device set a certain amount of Parisian, but like as far as hand builds, he's a guy I'll be skipping over. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned being sure there was two lines on price picks I like. This is another line of price picks I like. I like the more than 56.5 significant strikes on Martin Boudet. I, th- I mean, look, this is this is low-level UFC heavyweight action, Pete. Oh, man, is it? I mean, I, I mean, there's when I started looking at this fight this week, I was just like, this is, just, this is the bottom end of the UFC heavyweight division. And um, I, I've never been big on Josh Parisian either. I, I think this is a Martin Boudet fight, but, you know, Looking at the ownership projections on it, I I definitely want to be under the field. Yeah, I'm going to be under underweight to the number that I'm looking at right now. Um, but I, I get it because as far as like safety, I think that he's a safe option. But as far as DFS score, he just hasn't shown that he's capable of putting on a tremendous score. Next up, we got a female matchup. Jacqueline taking on uh, Monterey plus 205, minus 250 for Jacqueline, 9,100 on DK for Jacqueline, and 7,100 for Ruiz here. And, you know, the one thing about her is she's a one trick pony here in the underdog. 
Yeah, you know, she is. And uh, Montserrat Ruiz against uh, Jacqueline Amarim. You know, it's an interesting fight. You, you have a much better Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner in Jacqueline Omarim who was paired up against uh, Sam Hughes and looked really, really good in round one. Looked like she was very close to getting the finish. Um, you know, and then she went out there in, in rounds two and three and ended up getting controlled. She attempted 10 takedowns, landed only two of them, had three submission attempts, three minutes of control time. But Sam Hughes just bested her in rounds two and rounds three. And uh, it showed that there's still some signs of of uh, like development that needs to happen for Jacqueline Amarim. She's a part of an excellent camp to do so, surrounded by talented fighters and American top team. Going to be working on her striking. Going to be working on her wrestling if she's attending any of the Steve Mako wrestling wrestling rooms. Um, and clearly her jiu-jitsu is great to, to rely on. The issue here is that she's up against Montserrat Ruiz, who is going to be the better wrestler of the two. Not the better grappler, um, but I actually think she's going to be the better striker too. I, I think that Jacqueline Amarim is okay with if she throws straight shots, but I, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of time for Montserrat Ruiz working on her boxing. I really have, have been diving in on her social media and everything boxing related. I'm seeing She's looking damn good with her hand. So I, I, perhaps it's a weakness that she really wanted to develop. And most recently, losing to Amanda Lamos via KO is what will probably you know force your hand to get better at striking. I think that Montserrat Ruiz has a path to victory here. And the reason she has a path to victory is because her best technique is a broken technique. It really is. It's a head and arm throw. It's a headlock. And headlocks in women's MMA, super, super common. And very, very effective. Um, I think that it's a very effective technique. She's done it throughout her entire career. The one thing I worry about, right, is if you know you're going up against somebody who likes headlocks and somebody who just does a ton of head and arm throws, you train for that. And if you are a very, very strong Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, if you time just changing your level and sitting down a little low and lacing your leg, you can take the back. So what's going to happen is I'm going to bet this two ways. I'm either going to, I'm going to bet Jacqueline Emerim to win via submission. And then I also think that Montserrat Ruiz, uh, I think that she can win a decision here. I, I really do. And I think that her wrestling is fantastic. If you told me she went out there and she didn't attempt any headlocks and she attempted single legs and double legs and, and uh, body lock takedowns, I'm picking Montserrat Ruiz because I just think that she can avoid trouble. The issue is is her, you know, those headlocks giving your back to your opponent. Um, so I get the, the, the price tag of Jacqueline M. Reem from a finishing standpoint, but I can see her just getting headlocked and then finding a submission win and then scoring only like 90 points. Whereas Montserrat Ruiz throughout 15 minutes, I think it's just going to be so damn active, probably has the better striking now in 2023 and has more takedowns to offer. So call me crazy. I, I'm picking Montserrat Ruiz at 7,100, but I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing for one of those headlocks to result in a submission defeat um, via rear naked choke. So I'll, I'll be betting the, the uh, Jacqueline Amarim side. Uh, just in case I'm wrong, but from DFS, I cannot avoid a floor like that for Montserrat Ruiz. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that to me with with Ruiz, it's about you know this time away and, and how much uh, has she improved on not being a, a one trick pony. And what wasn't this the one where was this the fight where uh, Cheyenne uh, told her I'll follow you home? Yeah, yeah, meet me in the parking lot, follow you home. You know what? Yeah, so um, one of the great, yeah. one of the greatest lines I mean, in all of MMA. <laughs> if you if you really look at it though, Cheyenne buys Cheyenne Velismus. She she Tim she's not bad. So like she was able to headlock her a lot it's just like as a coach what i would say is like hey we got to be real careful if you are going to do anything you can't just be right around the head go for it with an underhook if she goes for for a head and arm with an underhook i think that she's going to be fine uh but anytime you're reaching around the head if they duck right underneath that elbow you have your back taken Next up, we got DeMond Blackshear taking on Jose Johnson. DeMond Blackshear is a minus-195 betting favorite, plus-165 for Johnson. Johnson, 7,600 and 8,600 for Blackshear. Yeah, if you guys are still listening to the show, please hit that like button. Help us get over 100 likes and uh, over 1,000 subscribers for our YouTube channel. Uh, I, I like DeMond Blackshear here against Jose Johnson. Um, I, I think that... If Damon Blackshear was in his original matchup with Brady Highstand, I, I would probably be going with Brady Highstand in the matchup. I do think that Damon Blackshear is a an okay striker and a solid wrestling wrestler and grappler. I was very surprised because I picked Luan Lacerda to go out there and beat him, and he beat the hell out of him uh, because Luan was just obsessed with getting a leg lock. And anytime you're committing to a leg lock, you are there to be, you know, punched in the face. And Damon Blackshear said, okay, I'm going to punch you as many times you're going to let me. And it got a second round TKO. So scored 114, broke the slate that week, priced at 7,500. I do, I do think that he has tremendous takedown upside here against Jose Johnson, who has been taken down multiple times on Dana White's contender series. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that is going to be a dangerous striker from the outside, uh, sneaky submissions off of his back. But Damon Blackshear has not been submitted. So why am I thinking that Jose Johnson's going to do it? I think DeMond's going to go out there, probably get reversed in certain positions as he always does. Um, but I think he's going to win the decision here. So 8,600 is a nice price tag for a guy with a high takedown floor. Um, but the only problem is he's only scored one takedown in each of his UFC fights. So 8,600, DeMond Blackshear is my pick. Yeah, I mean, this is a fight that I was really looking at as, you know, when you're looking at maybe getting away from some of those 9,000 options, DeMond Blackshear, 8,600 is a guy that I was kind of looking at, and I was kind of thinking, like, maybe this is the time where we see him go to that takedown city and land multiple takedowns in a matchup. Then you got your opening matchup of the night, Santos taking on Miller. Santos is a minus 150 betting favor, plus 125 for Miller. Santos, 8,300 on DK and 7,900 for Miller. Yeah, I really like Santos here. Uh, and if you watch Juliana, uh, Juliana Miller's previous performance against Verona Hart, Veronica Hardy, how the hell can you not like Luana Santos? Juliana Miller looked like one of the most disappointing heavy favorites we've seen in a very long time. I mean, her closing odds were almost minus 424 over uh, Veronica Hardy. And she looked terrible out there. She looked so sloppy. She just looked, I don't know, she just looked horrible. She was, you know, picked apart on the feet. She was reversed. She was taken down. Uh, she was controlled. She looked like somebody who had no answers and threw up three submission attempts in that fight, but in the end, she only scored 18 fantasy points. When she was able to get on top of Brogan Walker in the third round, she was able to finish her via you know TKO and scored 115 fantasy points, but uh, she, she was able to land better takedowns. She was able to land four four takedowns and have nine minutes of control time, and I do think that Juliana Miller has really sneaky jujitsu, but I think that Luana Santos 
has equally impressive jujitsu, uh, better takedown, so stronger judo, and I think that she's the better fi- better stand up fighter. I've actually been pretty damn impressed going back and watching Luana Santos's tape. Uh, she seems pretty well rounded for a UFC uh, debutante. So eighty three hundred Luana Santos is a fighter I like, but in general. I do think that this is going to go the distance, and Luana's just going to edge her out each round. So give me 8,300 Luana Santos. Could be very, very sneaky. Maybe a lot of people aren't interested in taking a shot on a debuting fighter, but according to ownership, they they like her a lot. So uh, I, I can't fault them there. Uh, give me Luana Santos to beat Juliana Miller. I like Santos as well, and uh, you know I do favor that takedown prop of two for Santos going uh, more than two uh, in this matchup. So let's get right into our straight-up fight picks, non-DFS or betting-related. The main event, RDA and Vicente Luque. I keep going back and forth on this one. I'm going to lean RDA. Don't feel good about it, though. Okay. I don't blame you. I'm going to go Vicente Luque. Uh, I'll give uh, Dawadu in the co-main. Yeah, Dawadu for me. Going round tree. Are you doing it? I want to, but my brain says you you gotta take round tree, so I'll take round tree. But let me just say this. I do want to see what Dawkins looks like on the scale tomorrow. That to me is gonna be part of my thought process. As we sit here on Thursday, the pick would be round tree. Uh Lucendo for me. Lucendo. Uh I'll go with uh give me uh Dobson. Oh, okay. I I don't hate it. I'll go to Fawn. Uh, I'll go Frem. Fremd. McGee. McGee, big time. Oh, man. Give me Terrence, but don't feel good about it. Okay, fair enough. I- I'm going to go Breed and take a shot. I'll go Marshall. Marshall. Uh, Boudet. Boudet. I just can't take Ruiz. Give me Jacqueline. I'm going to take Ruiz. I'm just going to take a shot. Give me Demon. Demon. And I'll go Santos. Santos, buddy. So uh, let's get some uh, questions over from Discord. Uh, first up, value plays under 8K on DraftKings. Um, I mean, as, as I just kind of go down the list here, Pete, uh, Dawkins at 7,300 I think is interesting, uh, especially if you know he is able to utilize some grappling in that one. Uh, you know, you, earlier on the show, you mentioned about Viana. If this fight does go to the ground, it becomes a little bit of a jiu-jitsu matchup. Um, outside of that, you mentioned about Breeden as well. You mentioned about Ruiz. Um, I think those are kind of the ones that you stick, you really look at. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to classify this week what is value and what is what is a dart throw. Like, I think that clearly most of our Ruiz and is a dart throw that I'm willing to just take take advantage of. Uh, I think that Breeden is value for a guy that has had a full training camp against the, against a struggling fighter in Terrence McKinney. Um, and then it's like, I, I would say that Dawkins is a dart throw. I, I don't think that he's necessarily value given how, how much he's been finished in the past. Um, but yeah, that's probably where I would lean, but it, it's, it's kind of like blurred lines this week. I, I don't see like, this is a valuable fighter. I think that 8,000 for Vicente Luque clearly is value. Um, in a very, very closely contested welterweight bout. But outside of that, I, I mean, you got volatile matchups and, and options that you just – a lot of plus 100s that, that I'm, I'm willing to take mm-hmm. shots on. Uh, best leverage plays. Uh, I think it's Mike Breeden. Yeah, it's clearly Mike Breeden for me. Uh, best takedown upside. 
Is it Liana Santos? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think takedown upside. Got to be Demon Blackshear. Okay. Like, I, I think that it's Demon. Um, and I actually think it's probably Montserrat Ruiz. Mm-hmm. Despite, I mean, you know what you're getting with her. But like yeah. you, you also know that you could get a ridiculous amount of takedowns. I mean, against Cheyenne, she had four of five takedowns with nine minutes of control time. So that that's a lot. Uh, ranking the nine K options. So nine K options. We got uh, Dowadu, Frem, McGee, McKinney, and Jacqueline. Obviously, I, we know number one for you is going to be McGee. I don't like it, but I'm going to still say Frem's two for me. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm going to go Dowdu three. Okay. And then I'm going to go McKinney four and Amarim five. Just because I still have to put some respect on McKinney's early finishing potential. Um, I just, as far as like, I'm taking trustworthy candidates mcgee and friend more so than and dow would do more so than mckinney uh sammy with his uh typical questions uh favorite core plays mcgee might i no lie mcgee might be in almost every single one of my lineups it's just because would you rather have 150 lineups with 90 plus points or would you rather have 50 lineups with only a hundred plus points from a nine thousand, I'm just going to take the shot. That I'm just going to take the easiest play out there. Mickey can also ragdoll JP, who's an undersized guy too. Like I know JP is a very good wrestler, but like McGee's not one dimensional. If he was one dimensional, then I can be like, mm, he's very very talented. We just saw him submit a a black belt in Journey Newson. Like if I, for me, core plays Santos Blackshear. And then one or two guys in the main event. Yeah, it would have to be. It's McGee and one of the guys in the main event for me. Yeah. Uh, Favorite inside the distance. Um, I think uh, I would look at it just in terms of fights. To me, I would say Roundtree, Dawkus, Frim Pickett, McKee, Bays, McKinney, Breeden. Those would be my top ones. I think he hit the nail on the head. Uh, I don't disagree with any of those. Uh, top punt plays. Um, just kind of looking at ownership and, and fighters who are not getting a, a ton of ownership. Uh, I would look at uh, Dobson, Breeden, maybe, and maybe Ruiz. Yeah, it's going to be Breeden and Ruiz for me from a, from a dart throw standpoint. And with dart throws, you, you have to be okay with being wrong. That's the whole point. It's just targeting the correct fighters. If they do come across with a win, do they score well? Uh, by the way, so uh, I got asked about the captain contest. The captain contest is not out yet, so we'll just kind of yeah. hypothetically talk about that. Um, oh, God, I mean, obviously McGee would be in that captain contest, but, man, you're going to pay a crap ton of salary to put him as a captain. Um, you know, but then I think that's where you got to really look at, uh, you know, I was, I mean, Blackshear was in the captain contest, but he's the second Friday night. So he's likely not in, in that captain contest. Um, outside of that in the captain contest, uh, 
you might be Roundtree and Dawkins may be the fight you have to really look at. High volatility, yeah. though. Yeah, super high volatility, but I'm with you. Uh, next up, uh, let's see here. Highest odds fight to end on decision. Oh. Well, I always look at the female matchups just because we know statistically how high they go there. Um, Dowdu Swanson, I think, is probably one you got to look at. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I do think that it's probably Luana Santos and Juliana Miller fight for me. Uh, favorite three leg parlay. If I was going to put a three legger, I would go McGee, Blackshear, Santos. I actually like that. I'm going to go McGee, Fremd. That's two heavy favorites. And Blackshear. And uh, Sam's over under is five and a half. I'm going to go over, bud. My initial thought was over. That was my initial thought. Let me, let me, do, a little, let me do a little countdown here. One, two. Three, it's not a bad four, line, five. but it's, it's going to be like seven, seven finishes. I actually think that's a really good line. I really do. I think you're you're right in that five to maybe eight finishes on a thirteen fight card. Mm-hmm. But I think five and a half. I think is a really good number. I really do. Yep. Good job, Sam. Uh, let's uh, end the show here. Like, let's talk a little about the Bellator. Let me pull up the Bellator odds for tomorrow night. We mentioned cool. this a little bit uh, earlier on in the show. Talking about Brent Ward as a plus 260 betting underdog. That, that's a, a line that really stuck out to me. Um, bet him for KO, too. Once that drops, bet him for KO. Yeah, let me see if I'm just looking down here if there's any KO. They've got some round props out there, but there's not. Uh, the only thing I'm seeing here, let's see here, uh, Ward inside the distance plus 300. I mean, I'd rather just put, take the plus 260. Yeah, I, I think that the, the KO is probably going to be like plus 375. Yeah. Um, you got C. Mallory, uh, Valentin Modovsky. Modovsky is a minus 230 betting fair, plus a 190 uh, for Mallory. Mallory has just got his, he's got a fight at range. If, if Modovsky is able to get that up against the fence, I think he's in trouble. You know, I, I'll be honest. I always confuse Moldovsky. Who the hell is he? Which one is he? Who did he just lose to? Uh, they are is the that, ones uh, he lost himself. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, remember you called the Linton to sell upset and I was like, not expecting that. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Moldovsky, man. I, I think that, Mo, I think Maori will get put on his back and ground and pounded. Uh, Ross is a minus one, eight, five fair against, uh, Aaron Jeffrey plus plus one fifty four. Um, Jeffrey is a guy that I think if he can keep the fight on the feet, uh, but I just don't know if he'll be able to keep the fight on the feet. Um, wow. A lot of money came in on Jeffrey, huh? He started at plus one eighty five. Now he's bet down, a. Plus one sixty. Yeah. Uh, look, the, the Gallagher. I'm not huge on James Gallagher. Let me just say that I'm not huge on him. I, I just think there's just defeat. Obviously, it's been a long time since we've seen James Gallagher. He was training in the United States uh, under James Krause. No longer there. Training back back in Ireland. I think this is probably a matchup for him. But uh, I, I went. You know. I don't know if I would even. I, I don't know if I would trust James Gallagher, even even though I think that Bellator has probably put together the best matchup for him. Yeah, interesting. I'm looking at the rest of the card too. Massive step up in competition for Jalen Bates to go against Enrique Barzola. Huh? Yeah. My goodness. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, um, you know, I, you know, I'm going to root for my guy, Alon Cruz, fellow Tampa guy. Uh, he's a little bit of an underdog there. Um, look out for Jarrell Hodge, the LFA champion, making his Bellator debut. That's a, that's a straight-up pick and fight here. And uh, people may not know who Jordan Oliver is if you don't follow amateur wrestling. Uh, this is his uh, pro MMA debut. Uh, he is a 14-1 to betting favorite. Is it worth putting money on the other guy? Oof. I don't, I mean, he, I mean, Jordan Oliver's an amazing wrestler. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at the line movements. Wrestler as in, as in collegiate wrestler or as in collegiate. Oh, okay, cool. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you're talking WWE. I'm like, man, anytime CM punks are around, I'm, I'm putting money on the other person. Yeah. Just looking at the biggest line movement uh, over the last 24 hours has been on Enrique Barzola. Mm hmm. So Enrique, yeah. Yeah, he had uh, he got his best as minus one forty eight um, back on Tuesday, and now he's at minus two hundred five. I'll tell you what, I'll never, I'll never back Josh Hill again. Josh Hill, I don't even know the guy he's going up against, but Josh Hill, he just he don't even fight. He he just like he didn't do shit last time I bet on him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jordan Oliver uh, was a two time NCAA wrestling champion. Jordan Oliver, I probably know him. I see his face. I mean, you know, I mean, Thanks. I mean, look, that's that's the Bellator model right there, man. You know, go out there, get those collegiate wrestlers, and and bring them in. Of course, uh, you know, we'll see where Bellator's at come October eighth. Oh, I know this kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know this kid, and he's from Kilcliffe. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see where uh, yeah, the the uncertainty of Bellator <laughs> where that's going to be heading here over the next uh, couple of weeks or so. But, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be sure to hit that thumbs up here on the video. Uh, hit that notification bell so you know we're live right here on the channel. Of course, uh, you can also check out the show on the podcasting platforms. we got our Discord channel, totally free to join. we got our DK contest. we got merch out there. So plenty of things, a way for you to support the channel here. Pete, anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? No, uh, thanks. Thank you so much for supporting us, guys. And, uh, you know, see you guys in the Discord with uh, all the, the live bets and uh, everybody's exposure. It'll, it'll be fun. And uh, let's make some money. Yeah, I'm definitely planning to, uh, to be in Discord on Saturday watching these fights. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. Yeah.